This is Indisputable. I'm Sharon Reed in for Dr. Rashad Ritchie. David Schuster is our special guest co-host today, Rebel HQ extraordinaire and master of the universe, which we just <laughs> added seconds ago from our talented production staff who said, you know what? He deserves an extra title because he means so much to this network and everyone. So, you know, Sharon, you're gonna, first of all, it's an honor to be on with you as always. Dr. Richie should be nervous every time you're sitting in. But here's the second thing you're gonna hear a lot of stuff about me, either from my colleagues or maybe from some of those viewers that are out there. Don't believe most of it. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. They say such glowing things. Well, we love you. I love being on with you and I study you. I study you, I get tips from you. Uh, but let's launch right into it, David Schuster, yeah. because the first one is just, well, it's incredible. Uh, let's take you through the details. A disabled woman dies uh, under care of EMTs and the family can't sue. The details on this one, the estate of Tamisha Bochamp, 20 year old woman with cerebral palsy, filed a federal lawsuit after she was declared deceased by first responders in Southfield, Michigan and placed in a body bag, despite not actually being dead. However, a court just ruled July 26, the EMTs were immune from civil prosecution. I mean, I take that to mean no matter what they do, you can't sue, you can't recover. There's more, Bochamp pronounced dead August 23rd, 2020 at her residence by EMTs. After they ended life saving procedures when they noticed no signs of life. First responders arrived on the scene 20 minutes after Bochamp's mother, Erica Lattimore, found her unresponsive in her bedroom. Lena Blackstar with the reporting. At approximately 8 a.m., the MT stopped performing CPR. They pronounced her dead, according to Courthouse News Service. However, family members noticed her chest moving and claimed that she still had a pulse. But the paramedics claim that Bochamp's chest movements and pulse were a result of her body reacting to medications and not signs of life. Now, the lawsuit named the first responders as Michael Storm, Scott Ricard, Philip Mulligan, and Jake Kroll. Okay. The lawsuit additionally read they also called a doctor to obtain permission to stop trying to resuscitate Bochamp. Although they had already stopped resuscitative efforts more than five minutes before receiving such permission. Now, Bochamp's nurse and godmother, Savannah Spears, told WXYZ TV Detroit Channel 7 she felt a pulse after the EMTs pronounced her dead. It was faint, but I felt a pulse. I've been a nurse for 38 years, and I kind of know when there's a pulse and when there's not. Bochamp was put inside a body bag, taken to a funeral home by an employee of the mortuary. Three hours later, the embalmer opened the body bag and found Bochamp with her eyes wide open and gasping for breath. She was rushed to the hospital, placed on a ventilator, and she died of an anoxic brain injury, October 18th, 2020. According to the Detroit Free Press, the four EMTs were placed on leave and the family filed a lawsuit against the four EMTs and the city of Southfield claiming they violated the 20 year old civil rights by being deliberately indifferent to her serious medical need and treatment that resulted in a private act of violence. US Court of Appeals 
or the Sixth Circuit rule first responders were immune from the $50 million lawsuit. That the EMTs had qualified immunity from the estate's constitutional claims. Qualified immunity protects government officials from constitutional rights, liability, and civil lawsuits unless it can be proved that they violated clearly established law, which in practice has meant. Wow, this, I mean, it's just incredible to read this. In practice, it has meant violations that are almost factually identical to previous misconduct instances that courts have ruled were unconstitutional. Now, the judge in this case, her name, Julia Gibbons, US Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit. She wrote, it is hard to see how it could be clearly established that the first responders exposed Beauchamp to a private act of violence when they mistakenly believed she was dead and left her in her family's care to be processed for routine funeral proceedings, which included the funeral home employees act of putting Beauchamp's presumed dead body into a bag to transport her to a funeral home. Gibbons continued, if anything, the fact that numerous laypersons recognized signs that Beauchamp was still alive suggest that the city could reasonably have expected the first responders not to pronounce Beauchamp dead without special training on this topic. In the same vein, the obvious signs of life Beauchamp displayed also undermine the inference that the first responders would have acted differently had they received more training from the city. Mm -hmm. David, it's an extraordinary story. I, I can't think of anything more horrible except, I don't know, maybe years ago, I, I heard this story of someone who was similarly, another place in, in, in the country, as I recall, or the world perhaps, placed in a coffin and had fingernail marks on the lid when the body was exhumed. But this is a horrific way to die. I can't imagine that you can't communicate. All of this is going down. The body bag is zipped up over your head and then stunned. This, this mortuary worker unzips it to find just an incredible find. Yeah. This is horrible. This is sickening. This is everything that's uh, that's wrong with these sort of situations. Um, is I, I can't understand for the life of me. Even if the EMTs did not have proper training, even if the EMTs, you know, reliable and some, I don't understand why it's not their protocol uh, to take her to the hospital anyway. I mean, you, you don't sign, find signs of life. Maybe you don't have the right equipment. After 20 minutes of trying, okay, you think that she's dead, but. Again, it, it feels like when you're dealing with somebody who is disabled, there's a set extra set of challenges, not only for her family, but also for the doctors and the physicians and the EMTs who are in her care, because it's a different set of medical things that she might provide, uh, as opposed to somebody who's you know able to sort of talk and normally and all that sort of thing. But the other strike that was unfortunately against her is I sort of feel like maybe because this family was African American, because she's mm -hmm. disabled and she's African American, there's a set there's a sense among certain responders that well you know. Her life may be not as important as if we were going to the country club and rescuing a rich white kid who just got unconscious on the tennis court. That is a reality of our society. And I think if we want to change things, not only do we have to change qualified immunity, get rid of qualified immunity, make everybody responsible, but also you gotta tell these EMTs every life is precious to the point that if you're not sure or if you're in a situation that you're, you're you haven't felt you've never seen before, maybe a disabled kid who suddenly is unconscious. You take that person to the hospital, let the hospital use all of their equipment to sort of figure out what's going on.
Yeah, and that's really it for me. And and people might say, oh, well, why are you jumping to to race, David? But what's it to you? The family was saying, hey, there's something else going on here. What's it to you to make that extra trip? Take the patient to the hospital and let them determine if you're going to call the doctor anyway. So I don't understand it. But I also, and I'm not, you know, I'm just a lay person, not a trained lawyer, but I don't understand the reasoning from this judge. And maybe you're right, it's just the way the law is. But given the other circumstances, people, family member who said, I'm in the medical field and there's something going on here, can't can't a jury hear this? Can't there at least be that threshold? Yeah, I mean, even if you're saying, well, the the EMTs are personally not liable, you can still make the organization of the EMTs, the emergency responders, or the city liable for what happened. And I would think that you know the city, if it had a conscience in Southfield, Michigan, wherever this happened, that they would say, okay, let's never mind what what the what the courts have ruled. We're still going to give you a private settlement because clearly there is some responsibility. Some responsibility, I think most human beings can agree on people who declare somebody dead who's not dead, and that the suffering that that child had to go through, that child, the twenty year old had to go through for the sure. last several hours of her life is is horrifying. So for that alone, you would hope that Southfield, Michigan, the community would do the right thing and say, okay, let's put aside the legal, the legalities, the qualified immunity, with all that kind of stuff. Let's settle, let's give her family something to recognize the mistakes that our EMTs made. Yeah, because it, it boils down, you know, the judge even tackles, a, well, even with training, you know, blah, blah, blah. But it, it really boils down to something very simple. If I'm an EMT and I can't tell when someone's Dead or alive? We're not talking about brain dead, okay? Is there a pulse? To me, that that says, well, the city can be responsible for. Shouldn't shouldn't you at least have enough training and skill to be able to say with some certainty about that? Yeah, and look, Southfield, Michigan, that's a pretty wealthy suburb of Detroit, so they have the resources, both in terms of you know local resources and EMTs and police. They have the resources to make sure their people are trained. And clearly, if they're not trained on how to detect a pulse with somebody who is disabled or presents a different set of medical conditions, the city ought to be retraining them and getting them used to this sort of thing. But again, that's not gonna bring back this girl's life. And so for that reason alone, I hope that the family continues their lawsuit and sues the city in general, even if they can't sue the EMTs personally, and that the city does the right thing and acknowledges no human being should ever ever have to go through something like this and die this way. And for that alone, the city ought to try to do something to make amends with the family. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Plus public confidence, as you said, wealthy area, but public confidence, okay? That would be my worst nightmare or for that to happen to a loved one. So we'll keep following it. Cops, I'll just give you the headline, then we're gonna go to some video here. The cops hold the family at gunpoint after License plate error. Well, look at the body cam footage. An overwhelmed father. On July 23rd, a Frisco, Texas police officer ran plates on a black Dodge Charger. But instead of typing AR for Arkansas, she says she typed AZ for Arizona. The information came back as a possible stolen car. 
Police say it was a high-risk traffic stop, and at least one officer had his weapon drawn. Everybody in the car, hands outside the window. Hey, find out if there's any weapons in the car. The family tells police they have a gun in the car. In the glove box, in the glove box. If you reach in that car, you may get shot, so be careful. Demetria Heard was behind the wheel. In the car were her husband, her son, and their nephew. They were on their way to a basketball tournament. She explains what it was like to see her sixth grade son involved. They actually bring him in, cuff him, and put him in the car. They're walking him to put him in a police car. And I am already have been, I'm crying, I'm, I didn't hyperventilate. She you. says they were instructed not to move. Not my husband explains to me that my nephew is in there literally screaming for his life and telling him, uncle, we are about to die. But finally, the officer realizes it was a mistake. I'm not justifying anything. I'm just saying, like, it wasn't a computer that read it. It was our human error that did this. And so please forgive us. I thank God that we were not physically injured, but we have suffered a lot of mental and emotional trauma from this. You think? You think? Best thing I heard on there was the end. Uh, human error, our mistake. Rarely hear that in these circumstances from police who often double down. There's more details. The family of four from Little Rock, Arkansas, left a Frisco Hotel Sunday morning. They were on their way to the basketball tournament in the Dallas area, unbeknownst to them. Frisco police officer ran the out of state license plate on their Dodge Charger. A car frequently stolen, that's true, according to authorities. But the officer, as you heard, entered the plate as if it were from Arizona, not Arkansas. Dallas Morning News with the details here. When no registration appeared on her screen, she and another officer began a traffic stop on the Dallas North Tollway, believing the car was stolen. One of the officers drew a gun at the family, ordered them out of the vehicle in an incident that went viral on social media. 16 minutes pass before other officers on scene tell the officer who ran the plate that the check was done in the wrong state. According to police, a sergeant who arrived on scene realized the mistake, ordered officers to stand down and end the traffic stop. I guess put the service weapon back in the holster, if you will. Frisco Police Chief David Shilson said in a statement accompanying the body cam footage released Friday, the officers made a mistake, apologizing to the family, adding that the officer who checked the plate accepted responsibility for what happened. Quote, our department will not hide from its mistakes. Instead, we will learn from them. Grant Cottingham, Frisco police spokesman said in a written statement, the incident is still under review and any discipline related to the stop is still being determined. Frisco police released a brief statement about the traffic stop Tuesday after a video of the encounter was shared on TikTok, saying that the stop raised concerns. However, they did not initially provide any specific information about the incident. Now the aftermath, the day of the traffic stop, the Frisco department did an incident review to determine what happened, how it was managed, and to evaluate what needed to be addressed, police said. A preliminary assessment provided guidance to include ensuring the accuracy of information entered by officers. An ongoing review will identify further changes to training policies, procedures, police said 
Friday. <clears throat> so this one I'm struggling with a little bit. <laughs> Quick to pull the service weapon, believing the car is stolen. I don't know what would come up. Stolen vehicle does not necessarily mean that the people inside it <laughs> are violent offenders in some kind of way. But I've not been trained as a police officer, full disclosure. David, what do you think about the details here? The the quick gun out of the holster, the mistake, but also I'm curious what you think about the police response and the speed of that. Well, this underscores a fundamental problem in how police are trained because police are trained to dominate a situation. You suspect something's wrong, you immediately dominate. You immediately make sure that you know you pull the gun so that somebody has to sort of be subservient to you as opposed to taking a deep breath and thinking, okay, no, wait a second. What's really going on here? Clearly, they did not have a lawful reason to pull this family over in the first place because driving a Dodge Charger is not reasonable articulable suspicion that somebody's committing a crime. You I need RSS in order to pull somebody over. If they had been speeding, if there was a violation, if there was a light was out, that's fine. But it doesn't sound like it was anything like that. So they run the plate and then suddenly it pops up that there's something wrong with the plate. And rather than double check it, they immediately say it's stolen and they go, they go wild. That's everything that's wrong with policing right there. Because even if even if the plate had been correctly transmitted to dispatch or through the computer system, there are rental cars that have plates reported as stolen all the time because of paperwork problems. Why is it that police have to be so aggressive to start? Why can they slowly walk up, see if the family is peaceful and resisting? If they're not resisting, say, hey, I need to get out of the car. I need you to get out of the car because we, we have a we have an issue here and 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 try to be engaging with them. And then if they're defiant, then you escalate. But to, to immediately go with your guns drawn and pointing it at a family and putting handcuffs on a kid who's never gonna forget this for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. How does this possibly help police and help our justice system? I agree with you, it's actionable. And when they review what policies need to change, they might wanna start with not just put in the right state, but also, Make sure you're pulling people over for lawful reasons. That doesn't seem clear here. I think this family has a case and I'm not Sue happy except on Fridays, okay? Somebody's gotta pay for this, somebody's gotta pay. Because as you said, young man, a mother, I can't imagine not being able to protect my daughter in a circumstance like that. So get it together and learn the abbreviations of each state. That 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 is helpful. Much more to come on Indisputable. I'm Sharon Reed and for Dr. Rashad Ritchie. David Schuster is our special guest co-host today. We're right back. Welcome back to Indisputable. I'm Sharon Reed and for Dr. Rashad Ritchie. David Schuster joins us today as our special guest co-host, Rebel HQ extraordinaire. And we're gonna keep going with the master of the universe, our personal nickname for him. You just gotta own it, you gotta own it, David. Karen, um, anything I, you say, I will embrace. Trust and we me. like the halo effect as well, <laughs> because you're an honest guy who just shoots straight, okay? Now, I know he doesn't intend it, David. But when I look at all that Dr. Rashad Ritchie does, accomplishes, I just, it makes me feel inferior, okay? Because I've not done these things. I got up, I brushed my teeth, I took a shower, but I didn't write a book. Okay, he did. And when you catch the title and the subject matter, it makes it all the more special. Dr. Rashad Ritchie, host of Indisputable, has a new book out. You can find it on Amazon by scanning the QR code. The title of the book, boy, this is rich. Ancient Egyptian Mastery of Quantum Physics, 
vibratory frequency and geometric sciences, an overview of complex scientific applications in ancient cultures. And David, we're gonna now throw it to you to explain that in detail for us, what what that means to the well, average viewer. Anytime that Dr. Ritchie has a new book, it means that all of us who read it are gonna be enlightened, no matter what you think the book may be about. It's always a little bit surprising with Dr. Ritchie, and it's always something inspiring. So that's the clue that I will give. Yeah, I'm gonna try to, to kind of dive in. I'll probably have to take it chapter by chapter and get a Cliff Notes version because this is incredible subject matter. Again, scan that QR code and you can pick up Doc's new book on Amazon. Let's get you some viewer comments right now, TYT member. Next TYT reporter speaking out about the disabled woman who died under the care of EMTs and the family. The decision by the courts can't sue. From someone who used to be a first responder, if you think for any reason that a group of people is less than another, you shouldn't be a first responder, period. And I think you make a good point. A good point next, TYT reporter. The problem is that that people are human and they bring with them to any job. Well, their version of humanity. So we don't know if that's the case here, but it certainly is suspect. Um, the cops holding the family at gunpoint after license plate error. James says, why did she run a plate check in the first place? And that was David Schuster's excellent point. Something about a a Dodge Challenger being stolen. They're stolen a lot, so let's run these plates. Okay, I'd rather you just put in there driving while black. Just come on, man, keep it a buck. Uh, Frugal Dragon says, but David, they were driving a Dodge Charger while black. Okay, yeah. Dodge Charger, that, that's why the guns had to come out. Uh, YouTube, uh, now I didn't read this ahead of time, but I love you too. Fritz Jacques, I love you too, and thank you for that. Um, and another one here, code SM96. This is about that disabled woman in the EMTs again, resonating with a lot of you. Rest in peace, poor girl, this is disgraceful. They did not perform their job to the best of their ability. Three years and still no justice. This is unacceptable, especially for a vulnerable, disabled black child. And I think I agree with you, David, that they gotta keep going, the family. And it shouldn't have to be this difficult to get justice for your loved one. But it's just an awful, awful scenario. We got another one, it's that moment of the show where we gotta call it out and ask the internet to do their job too and identify. I wish you Karen would. You wanna call the police on them for having a barbecue on a Sunday? You're my friend, back off! I'm gonna tell them there's an African American man threatening my life. You hit my car. I know I did. You're not like speak English, okay? What? You hit my car and I need some insurance now. I don't have my insurance card. You don't it's have insurance card? Progressive. But I need the card and, and the I don't have it! I need a driver license. You hit like behind my car. Shut up. Oh my God, I've got to go get my daughter. Doesn't matter, you hit my car. Big deal. You hear me? Okay, newsflash, sir, your daughter doesn't want to be seen with you. Okay, this is going viral and your daughter doesn't want, when my daughter says, you're embarrassing me, that's not what she means, okay? 
That's not what she means. Your daughter wants you to not even speak of her, okay? Until you make this right, if you can. The incident occurred last week in Great Falls, Virginia. According to the TikToker who uploaded the encounter, today I got into a car accident. This guy hit my car really hard from behind while I was stopped at the red light. His car hit me so hard that I hit my head on the wheel and the car moved forward. When I stepped out to talk to him about what happened, he then starts saying racist things to me while I'm trying to get his information. He then tried to make an excuse to pick up his daughter while I was calling the police and wanted to run. Um, I know that you have an update for us on this, David, and I'll ask you for that first. And then second, what you make of this, in my view, a typical male Karen here. Yeah, well, first of all, I mean, I think people tend to have, uh, tend to behave in patterns. So my Mm -hmm. initial thought on this is that this guy is probably abusive and misogynistic and racist to all sorts of people in his life. And that seems to have been confirmed at least now, according to the Twitter user, Tizzy Entertainment. He was the one who took the TikTok video, spread it far and wide, asked if anybody knew this person. And within days, sure enough, Tizzy Entertainment had an update. His viewers said that this person's name is Charles Joseph Laveau of Northern Virginia. And one of the Tizzy Entertainment followers found an arrest record in which 11 years ago, Mr. Charles Laveau had allegedly been spent some time in the Fairfax County Jail for drunk driving. So that has led to a lot of speculation. Well, maybe he was drunk in this particular incident. What's so interesting about this, Sharon, as you were pointing out, I mean, the internet is undefeated when it comes to identifying people like this. And so for all of us, if you're ever a victim or you feel like somebody's being abusive to you, you now have that weapon of a, of a phone. It takes a lot of courage sometimes to start recording because you're not sure how somebody's gonna react. But kudos to this Vietnamese woman in this particular case who had not only hit her head, but she had enough presence of mind to confront the man and then start recording when she felt like he was being abusive. And because of that, the internet got to do its job. And this man, as you said, has been embarrassed. He's been shamed, his business is being hurt. And all things, and all thanks to people who collectively feel like there's got to be something all of us can do, even if it's put up a terrible Yelp review on his business. That man deserves it. He certainly does. And and like I said, his daughter doesn't want to be associated with him. I have no independent confirmation of that. But as a mom, I can tell you that is what's going on at home. She's not speaking to him, and I believe that Flo from Progressive now <laughs> wants to distance herself. As well, okay. This guy is so ignorant. Speak English. Why don't you speak English and use big people words, okay? Um, it's despicable. Uh, and you're right. We can all do something. We can all do something, and that would make us an anti-Karen. Anti-Karens unite. Okay, Cardi B, she is who she is. She makes no apology for it. She was just trying to put on a good show. Just trying to put on a good show in that well, wonderful bright orange silhouette outfit. Her hair flowing, everything was on point. And then, well, 
You see what happens here, okay? We can tell you more, the rapper was performing at Dre's Beach Club in Las Vegas Saturday when an attendee threw a drink at her. Who would dare do it? Some users online who were at the event have claimed that Cardi had earlier in the show asked audience members to throw water on her to cool her off, hot. But she specifically said, look, don't get my hair, my face, my hair off limits. TMZ reports Cardi B is now a suspect for battery. Now, David, I want <laughs> you to weigh in on this. It's not Cardi B's first rodeo. She's beat some things in the past. She's a down to earth gal. Um, overreaction, innocent mistake, uh, what have you? Because this accused Karen in the audience who threw the water is saying it's, it was an accident, you know, maybe not a good throw. I think you gotta be awfully careful if you're an audience member. First of all, you have responsibility. I mean, what if the person on stage said, oh yeah, throw some rocks at me, let's see how you do. Mm. You don't do that. Just because somebody on stage may suggest something doesn't mean you take it to the full extent. And okay, if she did say throw some water, well, why not just hand her a bottle of water? Do something to help cool uh -huh. her off or bring a bucket and say, hey, do you want me to pour this on you? As opposed to that looked like that was pretty malicious, that sort of initial throw of water to get all over her and when she wasn't sort of expecting it. Just like, I mean, that that's not a nice way to cool somebody off. I, I give Cardi B credit for the way she reacted. I mean, she apparently was accurate with her throw. I didn't realize she <laughs> Cardi B was a lefty. Uh, was she worried. hit that woman with the microphone, so good targeting there. And it just, I mean, Everybody should take a deep breath here. Cardi B is a wonderful entertainer and it's understandable that she would be upset. I mean, if you yeah. want to cool somebody off, volunteer say, hey, I got some water for you. But don't just, don't just douse somebody with it when they're not expecting it. So I, I tend to agree with you and I saw that she, she hesitated. So to me, Cardi's made some progress here. Um, yeah, she threw it, she threw the microphone and you're right. That's a powerful left arm there. but. The old Cardi would have jumped off stage, mm. okay, I believe, and perhaps done some more damage and hair would have been flying and it would have been much more visual, if you will. Two questions for you, um, does Cardi B beat the rap and do the Dodgers sign her? <laughs> I think the Dodgers certainly need her. As far as whether she beats the ramp, I think she will. I think a, I don't think a prosecutor is going to bring this forward, especially Las Vegas. The local ordinances and rules are a little bit strange there. Um, and I think everybody's going to agree. Look, that the person who threw the water probably shouldn't have done it. Cardi B probably shouldn't have responded. But it's not worth local resources, local time in the courts to try to adjudicate something like this. I think everybody can just agree this was an unfortunate incident all the way around. Yeah, I think that's how it initially began. You know, it's not worth perhaps public resources, but I think perhaps the person who was on the receiving end of the microphone might want something else to soothe them. It to me, feels like friends got in the ear and said, "You know, that's Cardi B, right? Her and Offset together." Yes, yeah, so give her some that. free tickets. Hey, say hey, let's make up for it. Have there some it free is. tickets. I'll give you a bottle of water that you can, you know, bring backstage or something to sort of make make this right. I suppose. I mean, there are lots of nice ways to 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 end this. Yeah, and I think she's so famous and such a great performer. I would, and I think it's about coaching. I don't want anyone fired here, David, so just hear me out. Cardi B has an entourage, and if I'm her, I go back to the green room or wherever to cool off and I say, hey, why was there no dry ice blowing and keeping me cool? I'm Cardi B, okay? 
why did you guys not think of that? You know, that's my Cardi B thing, okay? Because my entourage is a party of one who's 11 who would say, not my problem, mom, okay? <laughs> Much more indisputable to come. I'm Sharon Reed and for Dr. Rashad Ritchie, joined by the great David Schuster, Rebel HQ. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Indisputable, I'm Sharon Reed, in for Dr. Rashad Ritchie, joined by the extraordinary David Schuster, Rebel HQ. Um, love having our good friend on. And um, we should tell you that Doc, um, you know, his commentary is spot on. And he's got a new column out in Rolling Out, which really chronicles, spotlights, if you will, the hypocrisy of the US Supreme Court. It really ties and weaves everything together that we've been seeing, feeling, the outrage. Dr. Ritchie has captured it all in rolling out. It's a must read, so you do want to check that out. Now, 2024, what are we in store for? Election misinformation worse than 2020. That is the prediction by some. As the 2024 election approaches, community organizations are already preparing for what they expect to be a worsening onslaught of disinformation targeting communities of color and immigrant communities. They say the Taylor campaigns challenge assumptions of what kinds of voters are susceptible to election conspiracies and distrust in voting systems. And there's more background, really just a reminder. I know you said we were there, we remember, but the details, looking back, just stunning. Leading up to the 2020 election, Facebook ads targeting Latino and Asian American voters described Joe Biden as a communist. Local station claimed a Black Lives Matter co-founder practiced witchcraft. Doctored images showed dogs urinating on Donald Trump campaign posters, although none of these claims were true. They scorched through social media sites that advocates say have fueled election misinformation in communities of color. The AP Associated Press with the details here. Sarah Shaw, Director of Policy and Community Engagement at the Advocacy Group, Indian American Impact, which runs the fact checking site, desifacts.org says, they're getting more complex, more sophisticated and spreading like wildfire. She continued saying what we saw in 2020, unfortunately, will probably be fairly mild in comparison to what we will see in the months leading up to 2024. Jenny Liu, Miss Disinformation Policy Manager at the nonprofit Asian Americans Advancing Justice says, growing subset of communities of color, especially immigrants for whom English is not their first language, are questioning the integrity of US voting processes, subscribing to Trump's lies of a stolen 2020 election. And still, these communities are largely left out of conversations about misinformation. Jenny Liu also says, when you think of the typical consumer of a conspiracy theory, you think of someone who's older, maybe from a rural area, maybe a white man, she said. You don't think of Chinese Americans scrolling through WeChat. That's why this narrative glosses over and erases a lot of the disinformation harms that many communities of color face. So deliberately constructing misinformation 
In addition to general misinformation themes about voting machines, mail-in voting, groups are catering their messaging to communities of color, experts say. For example, immigrants from authoritarian regimes in countries like Venezuela or who have lived through the Chinese Cultural Revolution may be more vulnerable to misinformation claiming politicians are wanting to turn the US into a socialist state, said Inga Travick, head of research for the Propaganda Research Lab at the Center for Media Engagement at the University of Texas at Austin. Laura Zomer, co-founder of the Spanish language fact-checking group, Fachequeto, sure I mispronounced it, but here's the drill. She says disinformation efforts often hinge on topics most important to each community, whether that is public safety, immigration, abortion, education, inflation, or alleged extramarital affairs. It takes advantage of their very real fear and trauma from their experiences in their home countries. Several misinformation experts told the Associated Press that other vulnerabilities include language barriers and a lack of knowledge of the US media landscape and how to find credible US news sources. Many immigrants rely on translated content for voting information, leaving space for bad actors to inject misinformation. Misinformation can also arise from mistranslations. The Brookings Institute, a nonprofit think tank, found examples of mistranslations in Colombian, Cuban, Venezuelan, WhatsApp groups where progressive was translated to progresista, which carries far left connotations that are closer to the Spanish words socialista and communista. Hmm. Now, beliefs and disinformation, many of these efforts have surged as Asian American, Black, Latino communities have grown in political power, said Maria Teresa Kumar, founding president of the nonprofit advocacy group Voto Latino. She says disinformation is at its core meant to be a sort of voter suppression tactic for communities of color. It targets communities of color in a way that feeds into their already justifiable concerns that the system is stacked against them. And the tactics also feed into a history as old as the Jim Crow era of attempting to disenfranchise people of color, going back to voter intimidation, suppression efforts after the Civil Rights Act of 1866, said Atiba Ellis, professor of law at Case Western Reserve University School of Law. Traffic also raised concerns about how layoffs and instability at social media platforms like Twitter may leave them less prepared to tackle misinformation in 2024. While many of the same recycled claims around alleged fraud in the 2020 and 2022 elections are expected to resurface, experts say disinformation campaigns will likely be more sophisticated and granular in attempts to target specific groups of voters of color. And democracy is at stake, folks. These are non-monolithic groups. Disinformation is very specifically tailored to each of these communi communities and their fears. So we also need to be partnering with grassroots organizations in each of these communities to tailor our approaches. If we don't take the time to do this work, our democracy is at stake. Clara Jimenez Cruz from the Associated Press. David, I feel like the, the wrongdoers, the mischievous people out there who love AI controversy mm -hmm. and cheating 
are so out in front in this race. I don't know, it really scared me, the headline here, because this is happening. And this time, these thieves of democracy, these, these lack of integrity people have just learned how to do it better. Hey, Sharon, you're absolutely right. I mean, it used to be, let's say 20, 30 years ago, where the weekend before election day, African American communities, Asian American communities, Latino communities, they might be blanketed with pamphlets or with papers stuck on car windshields saying, election day has been moved. It's no longer next Tuesday, it's the following Tuesday. Or if you vote and you happen to know somebody who's got an arrest warrant or you haven't paid your rent, then you'll be arrested. I mean, all sorts of nonsense. Well, now imagine this being delivered by Joe Biden's voice in the terms of a phone call and somebody who and you, and you get this phone call and you think, my God, that's President Biden telling me the election has been moved. And it's not, it's artificial intelligence. And But that's how good the technology has become. The methods are of course the same to try to frighten people, to frighten communities and to get them not to vote on election day, to get them to think that they can vote somewhere else or that they shouldn't vote at all. And unfortunately, I think you're right, Sharon. I think the yeah. artificial intelligence, the people who are doing terrible things, they have outpaced our ability as a society to keep up with it. Yeah, you're dead on. And and there's this too, because I feel like in the past, there's been a segment who disagrees, of course, with these, these people who are doing this and trying to impose their will and dictate to the rest of us. They're just stupid. They're targeting people who want to believe this stuff, don't have a clue or ignorant. But at the end of the day, I feel like this stuff is so sophisticated now. Again, targeting, knowing what your sweet spot is, extramarital affairs, okay? Black men don't trust. They're so sophisticated now that decent people, smart people, they can get caught up too. Am I wrong? No, I think you're absolutely right. And again, the ability to churn out the stuff, I mean, whereas in the past it would take, you needed a printer and you needed, you know, to go to the Kinko's or Xerox machine, whatever it was. Now, it's literally just a couple of clicks to be able to, to do a lot of this stuff. And so it's so much easier and so much more sophisticated. And so as a result, you can target people by area code, you can target them by zip code, you can customize the message to literally millions of people at a time. I don't know what can be done about this because I'll, this is my last comment on it. But I feel like before the universe balanced itself in some way, right? Let's say 2020, when someone had to exit the Oval Office after saying, don't vote early, mail in this and that. And of course, all these states reacted and changed laws. And now I see 45 in between indictments, David. He's doing a commercial saying, vote early. This is your friend, mail-in voting. So I don't know if there's anything that's going to rescue us. I sure hope so. Your thoughts? I think the only thing that really can rescue us is to sort of improve our own sort of election system to make it easier for people to access the ballot. If that means more early voting, if that means voting electronically, voting online, and yes, with all the various confirmation systems that a society should expect. But we should be making it easier for people to cast their ballot as opposed to more difficult. Because if you do make it more difficult and it takes having to wait in line for seven or eight hours, or you feel like, oh my God, there's not gonna be a, a, a precinct near my house because they've taken the voting machines away. If it's already that difficult, then it also makes it more easy for somebody to find an excuse not to go. And that's when some of this false information can really be effective. Absolutely right, my friend, absolutely right. We'll see what transpires here, but buckle up.
black nurse and AIDS. I mean, they're just trying to help here. Called the N word and slave girls. Say what now? Nine black nursing professionals filed a civil lawsuit for unlawful race discrimination after claiming they endured hellish bigoted conditions at an Alabama assisted living facility where they were the victims of several instances of racial abuse and harassment. Took place town of Flora Law in Covington County, Alabama. At the assisted living center, Flora Law Health and Rehabilitation. Looks like a decent place, least outside looking in. The women allege that they have been subjected to a racially discriminatory hostile environment that encompasses racial slurs by coworkers, racially tinged taunts, verbal abuse, and unequal enforcement of disciplinary rules. Lana Blackstar with the reporting here. They were overtly referred to as ends and slave girls numerous times. One of the plaintiffs even overheard a white coworker say, quote, these black girls need to service their people like the slaves they are. Another white coworker was heard telling another staff member, you've got to be kidding me. I have to work short every night and those MFNs have three down here. The complaint details. Suit states, use of racial epithets against black personnel is commonplace at this nursing home. There is even reportedly a group chat among the facility's white supervisors and select white staffers that is filled with racist commentary about the black staff members, according to the lawsuit. Plaintiffs allege even the residents have made statements that white supervisors have repeated, including, I'm allergic to black people, colored people. Can't come in my room, and blacks aren't meant to serve. One instance reportedly escalated to a physical altercation where a white coworker pulled Crittenden's hair and called her horse head. White supervisor also made Hobdi, another plaintiff, continue serving as a caregiver of a white patient who assaulted her with a makeshift knife. Would that be a shank? Racist treatment extends to patients as well. There are also regular reports of white staffers leaving black residents neglected, unbathed, without proper clothing and medication, the suit states. Shakia Thomas reported that her white coworkers left a black 105 pound patient naked on the floor for hours. When she filed a formal complaint, no corrective measures were instituted, no investigation was launched. Instead, Thomas's work schedule changed, which impacted her ability to take her children to school. Blow the whistle, you'll see. Plaintiffs are seeking relief in the form of compensatory punitive damages too. Formal and permanent prohibition of discriminatory treatment at Florida Health and Rehabilitation. And the implementation of policies for equal employment opportunities, the suit states, Black employees occupy the lower paying certified nursing assistant jobs. Cassandra Westry is the only black registered nurse at the facility. The other eight plaintiffs, they're CNAs. There are also fewer opportunities for black staffers to work shifts where they'll get paid overtime. White staffers frequently 
exert authority even though they hold no supervisory roles. I have to tell you, David, every time I read a suit like this, I mean, full disclosure, I'm a black woman who's been in the workforce. They don't want someone like me on the jury because I don't know people who have not been through this kind of horror trauma. Every time I read something like this, it is traumatic because you instantly draw upon, oh, that play. Okay, these are stale plays, David Schuster, but they're still going on. And they impact greatly people's lives. It makes me despise the term race card, okay? There's no card, they're just racism. But I want you to analyze this one, please. Well, look, I, I think I, I hope we can all agree racism exists in every corner of our society. And it exists in you know nursing homes and healthcare facilities. The way you battle racism is I don't think you can necessarily expect, even though we can hope that everybody would not be racist, but you can at least expect that the people who run these companies, the people who are making money off of older people, off of insurance, off of Medicare, that they would have a culture that does not tolerate employees who engage in racism. And once the company culture says, we're not gonna allow this to exist, then the people who are racist decide, well, I can't work at this facility because I'm naturally racist and I'm gonna be found out. And, and you start to have people who tend to work together. And then once you do that, once you have a culture of a nursing home or assisted living facility that doesn't tolerate this stuff, then once some of the older people who may be out of their mind, say things just because they don't know what planet they're on, then you can start to have conversations say, well, Mrs. Smith or whatever, you know, we don't really want to talk to the staff this way because you know we're all human beings. But you can't even begin to have those conversations if you are enabling and encouraging your middle level management at Flora Health or even higher. If they're engaged in this stuff and they have their own chats to repeat the stuff, this entire company is a disaster and should be condemned. I think you boiled it down. You've identified the source here, okay? And the fuel that's feeding this racist fire. I had a friend who used to manage fast food restaurants at a corporate level. And I sent him into Miami. I remember he told me the story and they said, he said, this was the worst performing whatever it was, okay? I think they had the flame broiled burgers, okay? They weren't meeting their goals. He said, he got there, it was horrific. The employees were cursing out people in the drive-thru, okay? They were doing all kinds of nonsense. And I said, well, what did you do? Did you just fire everyone? And he said, no, I couldn't fire everyone, Sharon, because then I'd have no one left, it was that bad. What he said was, I just began a cultural shift. I started hiring people mm -hmm. who embodied something better. And then it spread, and then those who didn't like it, they quit, they left on their own, or they were isolated. That's what needs to happen here because you're right about that group text. Disgusting. Do better. Flora law, however you pronounce it, do better. And that could go for some of the residents too. Much more indisputable to come. We're right back. I'm Sharon Reedin for Dr. Rashad Ritchie. Welcome back to Indisputable. I'm Sharon Reed in for Dr. Rashad Ritchie. A lot of you, I'll get to a few viewer comments, are already. Uh, talking about this misinformation and how 2024 the election is going to be worse than 2020. The AP had some some real detailed reporting on it. K Flux says, TYT member, I'm so glad this is being validated by experts studying this because I've been seeing it happen with my white hippie chick friends for about six months. 
All my free love, holistic health and anti-vax friends are turning MAGA. And it's confusing and terrifying, okay, Flux, it is terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. Uh, let's get you some YouTube comments as well. Um, again, code SM96 on the misinformation with the upcoming election. They won't fool me, but our choice for candidates is limited. A lot of people talking about that as well. Um, about the black nurses, AIDS called the N-word slave girls at this rehabilitation nursing home. The Lion Truth says the best advice I can offer being a retired nurse, learn your facility policy and procedures saved my butt many a day from racist supervisors. It's a shame that you have to leave a blueprint for others, okay, to say this is how you gotta navigate these races. Um, one more, and uh, Jason Z, how we appreciate you gifted a membership. Um, this is this is wonderful, ill-advised. Uh, James Thompson. 12 months there, thank you for that. Barbarian, savages, uncivilized, or anyone who wants to have less human rights, watch since first a dragon guest, vet and retired. Okay, loves Doc, loves, loves the program, and we appreciate you. A black man tased by cops after trying to help a man on a bike. Again, somebody just trying to help and suddenly, they're the target. Mark Merritt is suing a police department in New York State for hastily tasing him for jaywalking in the street when he claims he was trying to help a motorcyclist start his bike. Wow. Give you the background, Nassau County Police confronted 33-year-old Mark Merritt on April 22nd in the hamlet Baldwin on Long Island. Merritt says a group of officers began harassing him about jaywalking. On Grand Avenue, he told them he was merely <laughs> helping friends start his bike by pushing it out of a nearby lot and onto the street. So they wanted his ID, he refused. And a black star with the details here. The encounter began to escalate when those officers started pointing tasers at Merritt, demanding he get on the ground. When he and a friend persisted in telling them that he was doing nothing wrong, they stunned him twice. Once he hit the ground, police are seen immediately handcuffing, captured. They began rummaging through his pockets for his ID. An officer is also captured with his foot on Merritt's back and a knee on his leg. ABC7 New York interviewed witnesses who said neighbors called the police because of a disturbance outside a restaurant lounge from a large motorcycle group. Officers took Merritt into custody after he was taken to a hospital by ambulance. Spent the night cuffed in a jail cell. Not only was he charged with jaywalking, but he also faces, let's say it together, disorderly conduct and governmental obstruction charges. Merit suit seeks a million dollars in damages for excessive and unjustified force and harassment. Nassau County Police have yet to release comment on the incident. I want to know what you think, David Schuster. I, I would get reversed if I were the chief here, but you're fired. I don't even know if I need more details than this. You're fired for endangering others, yourselves, for escalating, for, for being dumb. 
for being a fool here. Yeah, I think Mr. Merritt's gonna get his million dollars and he might even get more than that if this in fact goes to a jury. Because the fact of the matter is helping your friend start a motorcycle is not an offense. And even if he was jaywalking, the police officers have a responsibility to step back, evaluate a situation and find out, okay, is this person really dangerous? Or is there a valid reason for what he's doing? And this certainly sounds like he was being perfectly reasonable. My guess is that the police officers involved here, they probably went through the training and never learned that, you know what? Just because you're told in the police academy that yes, everybody must observe and follow everything you say, you know, that's not actually true. Just because you tell somebody something doesn't mean that a person has to comply. We have this thing called the Constitution where people have their constitutional mm -hmm. rights. And unfortunately, too many police officers don't seem to respect the Constitution or understand that and simply get into police because they wanna dominate. They wanna control people and they wanna beat people who don't follow everything they say. And I have a feeling those are the kind of cops that were involved here in Nassau County. I think you're exactly right. And perhaps the training at the police academy, I don't know, maybe it involved, if you see a black man with a motorcycle, he's a suspect and get your hand on your gun or taser. Okay, it might have just been as simple as that because this is nuts, okay? Viola Davis is not, okay? She's a good citizen, a terrific actress. And I just love what she's done here because it kind of has created this domino effect. Viola Davis refusing to film a movie, even with the union's blessing. She got a waiver and she said, no, stand in solidarity. Viola Davis says she is opposed to filming. She's not gonna do it, her next movie amid the simmering actors and writers labor strikes. Even though she has SAG actors blessing to do so. Oscar award winning actors movie comes Amid scrutiny over SAG-AFTRA's decision to exempt some productions from the strike that are not affiliated with any major studios or streaming platforms. The dispensations have sparked questions in recent days. Davis released a statement this weekend after her upcoming action thriller G20 was among dozens of independent projects granted waivers by the Guild to move forward during the strike. I love this movie, but I do not feel that it would be appropriate for its production to move forward during the strike, Davis said in a statement provided Sunday to the LA Times. I appreciate that the producers on the project agree with this decision. Juvie Productions and I stand in solidarity with actors SAG-AFTRA and the WGA, Los Angeles Times with the reporting. Though much of Hollywood has come to a standstill amid the writers and actors strikes, more than 40 productions have been granted waivers to continue shooting during the mass work stoppage. But whether actors are crossing a picket line by participating in those productions, that's become a point of contention spreading throughout the industry. In a message to members posted online Sunday, the union defended the agreements and called them a vital part of its strategic approach to negotiations. Union leaders noted that these agreements include reasonable and appropriate contract terms and mainly involve projects that are not affiliated with the companies that belong to the AMPTP. And further, they said, these projects won't be distributed on AMPTP platforms until an industry-wide agreement is reached. Meantime, actor and comedian Sarah Silverman said she was, quote, pissed off at the idea of movie stars continuing to work on independent projects when they know the goal is to sell them to streaming giants. And she accused her peers of scabbing by working on those titles, SAG after waivers be damned.
She's a big mouth, she had something to say, and a lot of people agree with her. Silverman said on Instagram, I got offered an indie movie, I F said no. And so did a bunch of my friends, and now some of my friends are saying yes, and I'm really pissed. Please explain to me why I should be angry, shouldn't be rather. Because people are sacrificing their livelihood for this cause, it's called Union Strong. We should see every movie star out there striking along. After hearing the SAG after leaders out, Silverman doubled down on her stance. This cause is a work stoppage, Silverman said, that's our power. Silverman also questioned whether all of the exempt projects are truly independent, saying some productions carry a real stink of loopholeness. Times has reached out to SAG after for comment. Um, like I said, she's a big mouth. And I don't mind it a bit, David Schuster. I love Viola Davis leading by example. And I saw where Amy Schumer retweeted her statement. And Brad Pitt kind of was doing an indie and then kind of stepped back. Okay, suddenly production is shut down. Is the union misguided in these waivers? Is there hoodwinking going on? How do we dissect this one? It's a good question. I, I think that the union is, is very fearful of the industry being completely eradicated if this strike continues to go. Mm. So I think what they're trying to do is provide at least perhaps a little bit of work for some people uh, so that not everybody's struggling. But I, I think that the union should just encourage a blanket ban on all production. I think that's the way it would be most effective. And I certainly think stars, congratulations to Viola Davis. I mean, she's a hero for what she's doing and same with Sarah Silverman. I think the stars themselves have to lead by example and say, we're not gonna have any sort of production. No matter you know whether an A-list star or a D-list star, you're not gonna participate in a production as long as the strike is going on. Because as long as there's some production companies that feel they can sort of skirt the line, I don't think the strike is gonna be that terribly effective. We need the strike to be over, but we need it to be over on the terms that are beneficial to the people who are striking. And that is the people who make these movies, they deserve more. And I'm not talking about the stars, I'm talking about the grips, the writers, the lighting people, the people who have not seen their wages raised, who are not getting residuals, that is outrageous. And these productions make billions for these entertainment companies, that needs to change. It certainly does need to change. And I don't know if you could hear, I have movie music going, it was the background, it's a theme. Um, and I wanted to add a little something to the segment, but this is treacherous, David, and I don't know. I don't know how this one's going to end or how long it's going to take and who's going to prevail because there's these studio heads on their yachts and they're prepared to just sail around until people have to work two and three jobs to realize their dreams in Hollywood to have rent. Um, we love you, as I said, I love sitting opposite from you. I feel smarter. Tell people where they can find all of your incredible work. Well, Sharon, first of all, the love is reciprocated. I love you right back. It's always a pleasure being on with you. Um, people can find the work at the Rebel HQ, both on Facebook and YouTube. We put up videos on politics and police interactions and the Constitution and a little bit of pop culture as well. And certainly a lot of racism and Karens and on and on. Wide variety of contributors on Rebel HQ. Just go to YouTube or Facebook and type in Rebel HQ and you'll find our stuff there. And Sharon, thanks for having me on. An absolute pleasure as always. Will you add Master of the Universe to your handle? I think you should. <laughs> Sharon, you, take you have it. a card wash. Whatever you want to say, I will embrace and love wholeheartedly. Trademark <laughs> the t-shirts, all of it, David Schuster. We love you. Uh, the thanks, bullpen Sharon. is next. Welcome to the bullpen.
This is one of my favorite segments to fill in for Dr. Rashad Ritchie. Um, I love it, but I especially love it when she's on. One of my favorite doctors who break, she keeps it a buck. Okay, Dr. Tiffany Lloyd joins us once again, host of Jesus and Justice with Dr. Tiff, professor, author, activist, political scientist. Um, and I think I'm especially excited today for the topic, Doc, because when you, and we'll just give it to people, corruption of Clarence Thomas and Florida slavery benefited black people, controversy. Um, and I know you're gonna do great. And you're gonna school anybody out there who may have accidentally landed on us and doesn't share our ideals. Mm-hmm. I just, I'm so frustrated. I go back and forth, Dr. Tiff, with do I explain this to these fools? Or do I just keep on moving like it's not even happening? I think mm-hmm. we have to do this commentary though, don't we? Yes, because there are people, Sharon, that I believe they are just committed to misunderstanding. You know, they refuse to hear us, they refuse to understand what we're saying because they already have it in their mind that they're right and that we're wrong. It's amazing that every person out there that is not African American has the answers to what black people should do. But until you have walked in our shoes, until you have faced racism, you don't qualify to tell us how we should feel. You don't qualify to tell us what we should do. So people are committed to misunderstanding us. I see, I knew you were going, now you got my blood all pumping and stuff. I'm gonna try to try to get my blood pressure down. But there's something that I heard over the weekend and it resonates. It's not, you know, this like wow or a shocker. But when someone said it, I thought, oh my goodness, 911 emergency. What we have here are people who are trying to indoctrinate an entire generation, skew them towards white supremacy. And you said these are people who actually believe this stuff. I want to push back, do they? Or is it necessary for their own insecurities? To survive, mm-hmm. it's necessary for their own insecurities to survive. I, I mean, for <laughs> you know, it's amazing that Sharon, I received so much hate mail coming on here. You know, when people say call us racist, saying that all we care about are black issues, you know, in America, and that we don't know what we're talking about. Even when I have people that come at me and say, "How can a black woman like that have a PhD?" This woman yes. is not true. So, you know, it's such an insult. So, I think that, you know, it 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 is like you just said feeding their own insecurities. I don't go back and fools. Yeah. Yeah. Uh let's pivot to because I want to talk longer about this guy who wears the black robe. I I think he has imposter syndrome. I really do. And knows he doesn't belong there, but wants to keep all the privilege and power of that position. But I feel like these justices talking about Clarence Thomas and his friends, um, they're saying the quiet part out loud. They don't give up about what is being done, what's been revealed by this investigative reporting out there. So break it down because you use the word corruption. And that's a powerful word, um, but it seems you, you mean it. Mm-hmm. First of all, um, Chief, Chief uh, Clarence Thomas um, has forgotten who he is. Clarence Thomas is such a hypocrite because this is a man who has benefited his entire life 
on affirmative action. But yet, the, yet, ladies and gentlemen, he has received everything his entire career because of affirmative action. Now that you have received everything that you wanted, now you want to shut the door for people that look like you so they don't get it. It is such hypocrisy. This is a person who has taken lavish, expensive vacations from Harlan Crow. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it ironic that there have been about eight Supreme Court cases concerning Harlan Crow and all of the cases Clarence Thomas has voted in favor of Harlan Crow? Isn't it amazing that Harlan Crow has paid the tuition of Clarence Thomas' great nephew, Mark Martin, going to private schools? Isn't it amazing that allegedly Harlan Crow has also funded Clarence Thomas' mother house for some time? But we want to say that this is not corruption, that this is normal. How can we trust a system that allows this severe misconduct, this dishonesty? This is a person, Clarence Thomas, you say that you don't believe in affirmative action. Yet you went to the Holy Cross in 1968 because of affirmative action. You got into Yale because of affirmative action. The former attorney general from Missouri hired you because he, and I quote said, he said he's looking for blacks. He wants a more diverse office. So he hired you because you were black. The Reagan administration hired you because you were black. Thurgood Marshall, God rest his soul, the first African American to serve on the US Supreme Court justice. You replaced him because you are black. So to say that affirmative action does not benefit you, it is hypocrisy. And let me also say this, Clarence Thomas also said that he put a 15 cent stamp on his degree at Yale because that's just how little it means to him. Well, I say, I ask the question to you, Clarence Thomas, if your degree means 15 cents, then how worth, how much is your position on the Supreme Court worth? Because if your degree only means 15 cents, then maybe you should consider resigning because you're not worthy to sit on the bench. Mm. You broke that all the way down. I, I saw something, he's a man of few words, right? I, I mm. saw a list where, uh, some site had chronicled, um, it counted, did a word count of all the justices on the bench. And I think he spoke like, I don't know, 1% of the words, never pushed back, never asked any questions. I see him as a C student. But I also see something very scary in him for all the reasons you outlined. A black man, I picture him in, in slavery, historical slavery, if you will, being uh, the overseer. He's so hard on us. He's harder on us than they are. Okay, he, he's all that. And so I ask this question because often the word shame gets a, a bad rap. I think mm -hmm. shame is good and we've lost it. I often wonder if Clarence Thomas walks into black spaces anymore or if he just steers clear of them because there's that unspoken thing where just like if I encountered you across a cocktail room, my smile would emerge. We kind of do that thing, I see you sis. He's not getting that, he's getting contempt and I'm ashamed of you. Do you mm -hmm. think he feels it at all? Mm -hmm. 
I think that he surrounds himself around African Americans that may have the same mindset that mm. he had, which makes him feel justified in, in, in how he feels. I think uh, uh, people that are like you and I, he's not going to surround himself. I often wonder, has Clarence Thomas received a hurt? Is he, is, is this a, uh, has he healed his inner child? Has there something happened from his childhood or his young adulthood that he has not healed from, which makes him think the way that he thinks now in 2023? A person that has endured racism himself, a person that has benefited from mm. affirmative action, but now saying that you don't see the need of affirmative action when this is, you wouldn't be where you are if it were not for affirmative action. And I wanna say this to all the people out there that say that affirmative action is racist. I want you to be quiet because affirmative action gets us through the door, but it doesn't keep us at the table. It is not because of affirmative action that got Clarence Thomas accepted all on his own. He had to have the GPA. He had to have brought something to the table. So affirmative action is not giving African-Americans anything. It's allowing us a fair share where we were not allowed. Harvard didn't allow African Americans to go into after 200 years after that Harvard was, was open. So to say that affirmative action is racist, it is totally not true. The reason why we have HBCUs and why HBCUs are so important because we were not allowed to go to the PWIs. We couldn't go to Harvard, that's why we have Howard. We couldn't go to the University of Mississippi, which is why we have Alcorn State University. So until you know the history, I admonish all of you to stop talking about something that you don't have any knowledge of. Affirmative action gets us through the door, but it does not keep us at the table. We keep ourselves at the table. No one is asking for a handout. We're just asking for a fair share. Yeah, and it's the history here is so easy. It's just so easy. You don't want to know. And I think you're right, Dr. Tiff, by dis denying, if you will, the value of affirmative action. He's discrediting his own wins in this life. And by the way, the real affirmative action is the legacies and everything else that goes on in America today. That's the, that's the real affirmative action. As I said, we love you. Um, fascinating topic to chronicle with you. And I can't wait to be back with you. And if I do see you across that room, you know it, okay? You, you, you will feel the energy and the approval and the love. Uh, the bullpen, always enjoyable. Thank you very much, Dr. Tiff, and we'll see you next time. Indisputable is still the fastest growing news show in America. We tell the truth on Indisputable because the truth is indisputable. Listen, no matter what you do, don't allow the politics of ideology to evaporate the soul that still exists inside of you. They don't stop, I don't stop. Racism won't stop, I won't stop. Systemic bias won't stop, I won't stop. People still need criminal justice systems reform, so I won't stop. You won't stop either.